Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. I bring on a guest, either me or the guests are experiencing something new for the first time, and we talk about it. It's really that simple. Um, Usually, because of my interest, it's usually a movie or a book or a TV series, but um, I'm not going to close the door on anything. I'm open to any kind of experience. If you've listened to my most recent one, we talk about going to a theme park. Um, but like I said, it's mostly going to be movies and TV because that's what everybody loves and everybody wants to hear about. So today I'm talking to a sort of new friend, someone that like we were just talking about before we recorded that we've sort of uh, known through mutual friends each other for a long time. But just in the last couple of years met at a movie screening and uh, we have a lot in common. And it's my friend Dustin Neal. How's it going, Dustin? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. As good as we can be. Um, we're recording this the night before the election. So um, right before the craziness. Yeah. Either way, I think it's going to be pretty wild. So I'm glad to get you in here before either we're super sad or super stoked or I don't know. I, I really don't know what to expect. So uh, but I don't want to yeah, really make this podcast political and turn anybody away. But um, tonight we're talking about a movie. And if you're tuning into this you already know the topic because it's usually the title of the show but um dustin reached out to me and said you know hey we should we should podcast and you were already you know on my radar for guests to have on because you were a member of aotkp at a time and like i said we have a lot of mutual acquaintances and a lot of uh mutual i mean music movies everything we it seems we have a lot in common so I think we do yes yeah. yeah and like i said before we got started i loved the idea of the podcast just because like for your friend group uh you're the guy you're the guy that like people go to to like hey what should i watch what should i what what movie should i watch and then you give them that movie and they either watch it and they love it or you give them that movie and they never watch it and that's kind of like where i'm at with like my friend group i'll have people come to me and say hey dustin what should i watch and i'll be like go watch this and then they don't watch it and so I've kind of like, I've kind of deviated from that a little bit to like, hey, you should watch this, you should watch that, because like lately I've been watching like nothing but trash, so <laughs> it's been great to like, kind of take a departure from that for a little while and um, watch The Witches, which you know we'll get into, but like, I I watch garbage. I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of garbage, like stuff that's like not good, but like I love it. I don't like I said, I don't know if you if you're into that or not, but that's kind of like what I'm into. (laughs) Well, like what what would you say is the garbage that you've been watching? Like an example. Uh, Well, my October was full of garbage. Um, I watched I started off October with Uninvited, which is like one of my favorite garbage movies. It's the cat that. uh has like a demon cat inside of it and it comes out of the cat and oh, it's yeah. just like a puppet. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I had gotten it last year from vinegar syndrome and it looks great. And they've got a couple added scenes in there and it's just, it's hilarious. It's so fun to watch with friends. Although I haven't been able to do that lately, but uh, when I first got it, we watched it with friends and it was like, if I had like, a decibel meter in my basement when we were watching this, I I got a feeling it would have just, it would have been loud the entire time because everybody was laughing their ass off and having a great time. I miss that so much, but uh, there's this movie that I've been watching. It's terrible. It's 
It's so bad. I had to watch it with um, oh, Rift Tracks. Uh, okay, guys. yeah. Um, dark, the Dark Power, <laughs> which is this it has very outdated native american references like it's 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 almost impossible to get past if you're watching just the movie so you kind of have to just watch the riff tracks versions because they're making fun of it but uh then watch it's just so much garbage <laughs> well, see i still like i think the word garbage is a little harsh on some of that stuff i mean i i completely understand what you're saying it's not like it's not going to be on the criterion collection obviously a lot of it is not well made but I don't know. Like to me, you're getting something out of it and it's entertaining. You know what I mean? Like when I think sometimes, I don't know when I think of garbage, I think of, you know, some comfort stuff like, uh, you know, throwing on like, of course, reality TV, that kind of stuff is garbage, but I don't know. And it's interesting too, because with these boutique, um, video labels, like, you know, vinegar syndrome and arrow and stuff, we're getting these movies, on like you know they're doing like 4k restorations of of tammy and the t-rex and it's like we're yes. living in this cool time where we get a jam-packed you know 4k disc of this movie that was often ignored when it came out and now it's got this cult following and it's awesome time to be a fan they're perfect they really are and i i i want everything especially vinegar syndrome like everything that comes out like i've never like some of the stuff i've never seen I just want to buy it all. Like, I, I guess I just need to get like their subscription service when it comes out. Like, I don't know. I, everything I see comes out like, oh, I need to see that. Or if I've seen it, I usually buy it. But like, they, they just have like a really cool label right now. They, it used to be Arrow for me, but like yeah. now it's, it's, it, Vinegar Syndrome is like, it, it's now at the top for me. <laughs> well, I get, I, I have to say, I just sort of get overwhelmed. And I guess that's sort of the good thing about this podcast. I'm trying to, sort of branch out and get others to also bring me some of that stuff. Because I, like I said, I get people all the time that ask me for recommendations and I'm like, I don't know if you want my recommendations because there's a lot (laughs) I haven't seen. And I, I'm trying to also break the stigma of people being so afraid to admit they haven't seen something like that's true. Yeah. yeah, Just the other day, like uh, Justin Beam posted that, you know, about his uh, disc he put out a year ago for the blob, the eighties blob. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I've never seen it. And people went apeshit. And I'm like, you know, that's not to me, that's not a great way to get someone to watch it is to like shame them because they haven't seen it. Be like, oh, dude, I like we, we should watch it. That's fun. Like, you know, you're going to love it. Yeah. yeah. When, when I find out a friend hasn't seen like one of my favorite movies that I think they'll love, I'm like, you know, fuck, yeah, let's watch it. And obviously now I have a podcast where I can do that. And so when you messaged me and, and sent me your watch list, I'm like overwhelmed but i also wanted to do something that i've neglected for years and uh something that i feel like a lot of people have talked about for years i feel it's one of those movies that it's like people ask me if i've seen it and i'm like i don't think so but i feel like i have because i've heard so much about it and i've seen clips from it and right you know stills and stuff and it's it's a strange thing but you know i'm trying to like i said embrace the fact that there's so much out there and like with vinegar syndrome especially like they're probably like the deepest i would say like there's their screen factory which is probably the they get the most mainstream titles they're they're hidden like a b and then you know you have arrow which is like c and then vinegar syndrome is down at the bottom of the barrel (laughs) but uh that's you know the stuff that you like like you said watching with your friends and stuff you can't believe exists and that they would spend the time to make a nice special edition blu-ray for right it really is it's kind of like 
really this movie like you're going to you're going to take this movie and you're going to find the original you know whatever negative film and like clean it up and make it look great this movie and it's true like all their movies look excellent yeah i remember maybe it's probably been two summers ago now we went to Crypticon Kansas City and Vinegar Syndrome had a table there and oh cool. uh, Mike was going nuts over it and it was like you know he he basically had saved like this little you know like this little uh he stored away this little bit of money like every so often mm-hmm. every paycheck just for this trip and it was like he could splurge and just go crazy and yes and to me it's like you know, I, I sort of would ask him, like, what do you recommend if I were to pick up like one or two movies? And he's overwhelmed, like, well, I, you know, <laughs> man, that's that's a hefty choice because, you know, they're not the boutique stuff's nice, but it's not cheap. So, you yeah, know, it's right. biting it on the uh, blind buy and you get it. And you're, you know, for me, at least. But um, most of their stuff is so gonzo. It's like, you know, you're going to you're probably going to at least be entertained at the very least when you watch it. You really could. You could really close your eyes at their table, probably, and just right. point, and then find something that you're probably you and your friends are going to love. And and like browsing that table took me back to the video store days where you would basically choose a movie based on the VHS cover. Like mm-hmm. you yep. wouldn't even flip. You wouldn't even flip it over to read about it. It's like whoever has the best box art, I'm watching that movie. That one. Yeah, <laughs> and and there's so many now that you know, AOTKP brought me into this world where it's like, I'm finally hitting some of those movies, getting them off the list that I've neglected for years. And then this podcast sort of brings about the stuff that we wouldn't necessarily cover on that podcast that I've been Mm -hmm. meaning to watch and vice versa, getting friends to watch stuff that they necessarily wouldn't branch out and see. And um, I I sort of for a while was like, oh, you know, I want to watch horror horror, but now I'm trying to reach out more into other stuff too. And you know more yeah, comedies and stuff and and it's funny like the episode i had with my sister we watched uh can't hardly wait and clueless which i've saw a million times but she's my older sister and she introduced them to me so we talked about that and uh i had so many people reach out that had never even listened to a podcast and were like you know i listened to it and it's fantastic like you know because they were interested <laughs> in the, they had seen those movies a million times but right. they're not like like nerds like us where they dig deep into it so when i talked about like the history of the movies and the facts and stuff they were like mind blown they did not know any of this stuff and it's really cool to sort of get people into podcasts too because then they're like oh man i really like that i'm like well you should listen to this podcast and it just keeps going down the rabbit hole because now i'm suggesting podcasts and it's like should i have somebody on the podcast to talk about my recommendation of another podcast <laughs> it's like how, how deep should we take this how i think deep can you yeah, go <laughs> yeah that, that that might be a little too uh deep but um it's just cool to hear you know people who wouldn't necessarily uh, yeah. normally listen to a movie podcast and you know i'm just trying to get some some different audiences and you know cover a little bit of everything but uh, as you said earlier we are talking about the movie the witches From the incredible imagination of Jim Henson and director Nicholas Rogue comes a fascinating new fantasy adventure. The Witches. For when a little boy accidentally stumbles into their secret world, he finds they've got a lot more power than he ever imagined. It's me, Luke. Luke. They 
turn me into a mouse. Oh, my. Who's the Grand High Witch? Join Luke on his remarkable journey. Bye. Now, the witches are on his tail. Whoa. And he must scurry around their evil plots. Oh. Squeak past every danger. Finally setting the trap what? What? that will save the world from the witches. We are in for a treat. We must stop them. So The Witches was a 90s movie, sort of like a family adventure movie, I would say. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, I remember, like you said, I, neither of us has seen this. This was on your watch list. And... Mm -hmm. I browsed through it and there's so many that I was like, oh, cool, like, a, a, you know, a big genre hit or something. Just even some more new stuff that I really love. But I'm like, this is one that's been on my list, too. And if I can check off two at the same time, both of us seeing it for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. And um, th with the new one that just came out, they just remade this or I guess a new adaptation. I, I don't they did. I don't know if you'd consider it a remake because it's. To me, when you're when you're doing a new adaptation of the same book, you're not necessarily remaking a movie. You're just telling the story again, a new right. version. But um, this is based on a book by is it Raoul Dahl? I think. Is yeah, how yeah. You the guy who it? did the uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, he did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, James and the Giant Peach, uh, the BFG, and about a hundred other books from our childhood. And I mean, they weren't written when we were kids. They were quite a bit older but right um all have been adapted into movies probably around the same that era where we were kids charlie was older but um the bfg was probably like five or six years ago so they're still adapting his stories into movies which is cool yeah and he's like he's dead right right yeah he's <laughs> he, he i think i'm trying to remember i was reading a little bit about it earlier today uh i don't remember when he passed but um he was sort of he reminds me of like a children's uh author of version of stephen king because he is very critical of the adaptations of his yeah. books um he's sort of outspoken and very picky about it um this movie was directed by nicholas rogue who also directed david bowie in the man who fell to earth um heart of oh. darkness with john malkovich and tim roth and then Erotic Tales Volume Three, a porno later in his career. <laughs> he had he had quite a few titles on his uh, IMDb, but those three stuck out to me because you know everybody sort of knows uh, the man who fell to Earth. But then, like one of his last three movies, he directed a porn. So yeah, why not? You know, just check that off the bucket list. I guess, yeah. He went from the witches to the bitches. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Overall, like. Going into this one, I would say my impressions were, you know, I heard a lot of people say, you know, man, do you remember The Witches? It was like really creepy for a kid's movie or, you know, I can't believe they marketed this one towards kids. So I try not, to, I, I don't even think I'd seen a trailer before I watched this. I had just maybe seen the picture of the the uh, Grand High Witch. Yeah. And other than that, I don't think I really knew anything about this. How about you? Like, what was your um history going into it the only thing that i really knew is that this was like this was jim henson and like it was produced by jim henson right i mean like yeah like jim henson effects like those are i mean w when you've got that name tied to your movie there's like this quality that goes with it and 
it was definitely present in this movie for sure. Like just with the mouse puppets and the way that Angelica Houston looked and gosh, you know, it's, I miss, I miss these movies that are like from the late eighties and and nineties that you're kind of, while you're watching it now, you're wondering like, who was the demographic? Like, right. Who was this made for? Was this for kids? Was this for adults? Like, you don't have those now. You don't want, I don't think I've watched anything now that has the, you know, themes so mixed and with effects, you know, with like mixed in with gore and weird and gross. Like, I just don't see much of that now to the point where I'm like, who is this made for? Like, it's, it, everything's like cut and dry now. Like, you know, cut down the middle. Like, this is for kids. This is for adults. I feel like it is. I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen enough stuff like this now today, but this was one of those movies that, uh, that is like that and i the whole time i was watching it i was kicking myself in the ass and i was like why didn't why didn't i watch this sooner why i had i know this cover i've seen this cover i could almost draw this cover out in my mind the witch's cover yep um and i've seen it so much that i was so mad at myself when i was watching it. i'm like oh i would have loved this as a kid i would have put this I would have had like, you know, a sleepover with Labyrinth, you know, the Dark Crystal and then the witches. Like, right. Yeah. It, it was just like right in line with everything. Yeah. It's sort of one of those interesting things, too, because we both missed it uh, when it's, it was originally released. And so so it's not, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So it's not a nostalgia thing for me. Like, this is a first time watch for both of us. Yeah. So it's interesting because some movies I go back and watch like just maybe in the last five years, I went back and watched one of the three ninja movies and holy shit, it was awful, like unwatchable. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that my good memories of that were complete nostalgia where yep. you watch something like this and it's like, I have no connection to it. And it's really good. I thought it was really good. It was like, excellent. You, like you said, uh, you know, I'm just sort of mad. I didn't watch as a kid. I'm like, I had an older brother and sister who sort of introduced me to everything up until probably the mid nineties is when I started sort of branching out and, and getting my own taste in movies and music, obviously influenced by both of them. But, um, you know, it's like early nineties, you know, I'm surprised my, uh, my sister didn't watch this or something. Like you think this would be one that was on cable that I would catch at some point. Exactly. Yeah. You, I, I don't ever recall seeing this on television at all. No. And I know it wasn't a, it wasn't a success at the box office. It it got really great reviews and got a lot of press and everything, but it did not do well. And I'm wondering if maybe the sort of weird middle ground, like you were talking about, like who is this made for? Maybe that's why they're not doing movies like that now, because you see things like this and the monster squad, like they have huge cult followings now. And uh, even Hocus Pocus, like all three of those, mm -hmm. you know, Hocus Pocus mainly was obviously more towards kids, but it has some adult themes. But like, I think of Monster Squad in this, and you know, it's I, I think um, Andre Gower talked a little bit about uh, Monster Squad and how it was like the older kids were too cool for it because it looked like a kids movie, but the kids couldn't go to it because it was PG thirteen. It looked too adult, so it's right. like who who's the audience here? And the studio was hoping like. Well, both of them, you know, like the older brother would take their ki their little brother or, or parents would take their, you know, teenagers or kids or whatever, and they would both get to enjoy it. And reality, no one went. And that's the right. problem. 
even if they're great films, no one saw them. And now years later they have this, this following, but this one, like I said, um, was on both our radars, but somehow we both missed it. And now we're watching it in 2020, uh, <laughs> sort of interesting, but it has, like you said, Angelica Houston as the grand high witch in a, in a great role, like perfectly cast. I thought she was awesome. Um, Maya Zetterling as Helga, the grandmother, Jason Fisher as Luke. Um, looking at his IMDb, he's only done three roles. He did Parenthood, which he filmed, I believe, after this, but mm-hmm. um, was released before this. So it's sort of introducing Jason Fisher, but it actually came out because it sat on the shelf for a year. And then he did Hook, Hook after this. And those are the only three things he ever did after Hook. He was done acting. Yeah, I recognize that kid almost instantly from Parenthood. I was like, I got to look this up. This looks like the kid from Parenthood. I didn't realize that he was also in Hook, though. So that's that's pretty cool. He must have, he must have been like a lost boy. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we have Rowan Atkinson is the other noteworthy oh, name yes, as the hotel course. manager. Right when he popped up, I'm like, oh, Mr. Bean. What the hell? I had no idea he was in this. But that would have came out before Mr. Bean, though, right? Like It came I out, I think, like months before the first episode of the show or the first sketch he did as Mr. Bean. So, like, you know, we, we go back and we watch it and we're like, oh, yeah, Mr. Bean. But, like, then we wouldn't – I mean, nobody right. really would have had a clue. <laughs> exactly. And it's interesting, like, you know, he could have his own podcast. But um, to me, it's it's fascinating that – we all obviously recognize him as Mr. Bean, but like looking at his IMDb, I mean, the guy for having such a like recognizable character, he's really, I mean, he sort of plays the same character, but he's branched out and done. He did Rat Race, you know, and mm-hmm. he, he did all kinds of other uh, movies and TV shows. He did, um, now I'm drawing a blank, but um, it was like a spy movie that he did. Johnny in English? Was that Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah. it's like, most dudes in his, I think like um, Michael Richards, like would be a comparable guy where they really struggle after they get that one big, you know, recognizable role to oh, branch out yeah. and do anything. And, you know, he's, he's made a pretty decent career out of, out of the uh, slapstick sort of clueless dude, but at least, you know, he's, he's been able to do stuff. It feels like, you know, Michael Richards had UHF and he had airheads and he had a few other things, but after Seinfeld and it's not, you know, don't feel bad for the guy. He went on a racist tirade and he you know, did <laughs> and, and he'll make, you know, enough from the uh, Seinfeld royalties to live comfortably for the rest of his life. But it's like, you think about like people who get in those roles and it's like, you know, life after that can be really tough if you're trying to be an actor and branch out from that. And it's just cool to see like Rowan Atkinson has done other stuff, even though it feels right. like, most of the time he's just playing Mr. Bean with a different name, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, but, uh, he's like instantly recognizable. Like you, you know, see him pop up. He, you know, he's, and, and has a pretty good part in the movie. And I was wondering, Oh yeah, I guess I did. I watched after I watched the witches, I watched the trailer for the, for the remake. I, I imagine we'll get into that, but it, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, we're all, you know, like I said, um, this is just sort of free flowing and we're not not to make it a Mr. Bean podcast, but I just thought the same thing right when he popped up is like, Oh, Mr. Beans in this, this is cool. Like when I first saw Jason Fisher, I did not recognize him from parenthood, even though that was something we watched a lot growing up. Um, I haven't revisited that in a long time, but when I saw him, I'm like, 
it's strange because this came out in 90, but my first thought was like, oh, this is like the generic brand Macaulay Culkin. Like, <laughs> that's what yeah. it felt like to me. But I think um, this came out before Home Alone and, you know, before Macaulay was a huge name. So really, Macaulay was the, the uh, I guess, like <laughs> t- top shelf Jason Fisher. I don't know. Right, right. Jason Fisher had to stop making movies because of Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah, he, that prob- it wouldn't surprise me after Hook, it was like, Everything he went after was like, oh, Macaulay's already got it, you know. He really wanted that getting even with dad role. He didn't get it, so he quit. <laughs> yeah, that'd be sad. <laughs> I, I I should have read more into it to see why he's no no longer acting. He's probably like some super rich, like awesome, smart dude that went to you know prestigious school or something. Who knows? Right. Or he died young and it's super sad, and you know oh, we have no, no idea. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea, but um, it's one or the other. You can't have it in between. Right, right. You know, with the child, with the child stars, you never really know. Yeah, but this is a pretty, pretty uh, interesting story for a kids movie. Like I'd never really read um, too much of the doll books, so this one, even the book, the story wasn't familiar. As you know. Obviously, growing up, I I did watch Matilda and James and Giant Peach, and you know, watch the shit out of um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but Mm -hmm. somehow missed this one. And the story is pretty dark. Like it starts off with uh, Luke and his grandmother Helga, and she's telling him a bedtime story about witches, and basically, sort of teaches him how to tell when a woman is a witch. Like she has what purple eyes. flat toes like square feet and there was a couple of other things oh they yeah they, they tell you everything you need to know like right away in yeah. that first that first act is like if you've watched that you can just have fun for the rest of the movie and that's i think that's why it starts off so well yeah and that's what's nice of you know about sort of being marketed towards kids is like we need to tell them up front what they're looking for in this mm-hmm. movie so they can um, watch along with Jason or not Jason Luke. I'm going to screw that up, but watch along with Luke and sort of, um, you know, recognize not that we even need the clues. It's very obvious when someone's a witch and someone's not in this movie. Um, but for some reason they don't really explain the backstory too much. Cause it's a kid's movie. There really doesn't need to be a whole lot of, uh, development and setup, but yeah. Witches his, are bad. Yeah. Witches are bad. They want to kill kids and, um, his, grandma helga she's missing isn't it her pinky on one hand it is yeah and sort of hints to the fact that she was chasing down or looking for the grand high witch and i can't remember exactly why they take a finger or they did they even explain that or is it just sort of you know i didn't yeah let's get into that because i i thought they were hinting at something uh later in the movie um and we can get into that but like the uh you know she has that missing finger but i thought maybe she was also at one point in time turned into an animal of some kind a mouse like they do in the movie Uh and then you notice like later in the movie when the main character is turned into a mouse he gets his tail like part of his tail chopped off yeah i thought for sure okay we're jumping way ahead here no no it's okay I thought for sure when he became spoiler alert human again, he was like gonna have like an arm off or like a, <laughs> a, a missing you know like toe or something, but that didn't happen. So I thought like that was a wasted op- 
opportunity there, but still cool and freaky nonetheless. I mean, you don't you don't have you know people with missing fingers in kids' movies, but obviously right. you do in this one. Yeah, and I I had when I was reading about it, they were talking about in the novel or the book, uh, the grandmother's missing her thumbs, and they I think they wanted to make it a little um less that's brutal yeah brutal and for some reason you know just a few inches overtaking the pinkies a little better than both thumbs but uh (laughs) it's still sort of like alarming right away it's like oh they show that hand it's like you know we're we're in for some uh a witching good time well just like the the i thought the first story was like a perfect first story for like a creep show where Mm -hmm. the girl is stuck in the painting Oh and, yeah, man. Uh the witch that catches her has like those gnarly hands, like and she's cooking something like in the kitchen that's just, you know, looks pretty disgusting, but like that right there, right at the beginning of the movie, like for any kid like, you know, f- you know, around 5 years of age is probably going to be a little bit freaked out by that. Yeah, I sort of want to show this to my niece now because she can <laughs> she can handle some pretty gnarly stuff. She's pretty brave, um but I sort of want to see how far, like how far you can push the envelope before she gets a little like, you know, actually scared. Like, <laughs> right. Not like, I don't want to like, you know, show her like Texas chainsaw or something and, and ruin <laughs> her. But this is like a nice gateway. I would say from like the stuff she's watching, which is like nightmare before Christmas. She likes, loves all the Laka stuff, all, you know, paranormal and box yeah. trolls and that kind of stuff. And this is sort of a nice middle ground where it has some real scary stuff, but it knows when to cut back and not make it, over the top but the the painting thing is is like you know just an eerie story like i can imagine as a kid thinking like if that was real like that would be the worst life you know and how she moves around in the painting and eventually it's really sad because she vanishes away right like she ages like yeah like she's living in the painting and that's just uh that's a lot of dread to put (laughs) on yourself as a child yeah, it makes me think of uh, maybe like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like that was yeah. that kind of stuff was like my sort of window, you know, went from like goosebumps to that. And that was like the next step up, I would say, <laughs> yeah. you know, like some of that had some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, rewatching those now, it's it's, you know, obviously the acting is pretty hokey and stuff, but the stories are pretty, pretty good for uh, those are fun watches a, yeah. a, a, for a teen show. It's pretty good. And that was like my first introduction to bringing the friends, they would all come over. I think it was on Friday or Saturday nights and they would all have, you know, like beef jerky and candy bars and stuff. And we'd all sit on beanbag chairs and watch. Are you afraid of the dark on like our 27 inch tube TV yeah, in the living Nick, room? Right. Yeah. And that was like, you know, Saturday night, Nick. Yeah. We, we thought we were like the midnight society, you know, and it was <laughs> like so cool, you know, and try to tell ghost stories. But uh, yeah, that opening story, totally creepy has him you know totally gets us into the rules of how to spot a witch and then you know minutes later he's up in a treehouse and this random woman (laughs) comes up and is like hey kid want to come down and play with my snake little boys love snakes it's like and i have purple eyes it's like holy shit (laughs) (laughs) she starts she starts speaking fucking uh parcel tongue to the snake (laughs) (laughs) it's like we didn't even need the rules to know that woman's a like a woman's a witch it's very obvious but uh i i yeah it's like stranger danger first like even if she's not a witch don't go talking to the strange woman who's very interested in you and your treehouse um but it, it it gets 
it just keeps sort of getting darker because you know she vanishes she takes a snake with her and then he warns his grandma and then i think that sort of next thing that happens is we find out his his parents die right yeah something around that around that time either before or right after yeah like and it's never really explained, is it? Like how they pass away? No, they they leave for the night and they leave him with his grandma. They're like, we're going out. We'll be back later. And then the police show up at the door and they're like, you know, it took me a second to realize, like put two and two together because they don't flat out say, you know, your parents are dead. He walks into the room and she's grandma's crying and right. he's like, what's up? And then it was like, oh, is there anything like happy that happens in this movie? Like right in the first opening minutes. <laughs> it's very you know. depressing. Yeah. Well, the, the, I, I just got a, uh, uh, you know, I don't, you, you talked about the director a little bit, but there's like a really cool shot when the parents are leaving um, the house to get it in their car. It's a really cool, it's really short. It's a really cool handheld shot, like of them getting into their car and driving away. But it's like, you know how sometimes directors will, by the way they're shooting things, can kind of give you a hint that something is going to happen. But just the way that scene is shot when they get into their vehicle makes it seem like what you know. It, it makes it seem like something bad's going to happen. Yeah, a little ominous. Like it's uh, yeah, yeah. We're, this is the last time we're going to see them. It felt yeah. A little it's like bit why like are they that. showing us this? So I mean, I guess we just have to assume they it was a car wreck or you know. Yeah, that's what um, I assume too. Because if it was anything like anything else, I think yeah, we would have known more about it. It seemed like more of a way just to sort of make Luke and Helga, his grandma, closer in their relationship, yeah. which they were already close, you know, before. But um, yeah, super sad, and you know, like I said, it took me a minute to realize what it put two and two together when the cops came and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I know what happened. But um, <laughs> I, 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 sometimes it's like watching this as an adult, we have to remember that, you know, that audience, it was, they were shooting for kids. So it's like, it can't be too critical, but uh, yeah, when they're, you know, setting the base rules for the witch and stuff, it's like, Oh man, they, they straightforward with it. But this one, this would be pretty heavy for a kid. I wonder, you know, if kids have put two and two together that, you know, the parents, just died because like you said they don't even ever say it out loud it just sort of yeah there's no like funeral scene right you know there's no like you know inheritance scene or will scene or you know like it's just kind of like hey we're going to england uh, you know yeah (laughs) and then we'll be off to the grand budapest soon so and and, yeah and then what's uh, what's really interesting is i didn't even know this was possible but his grandma comes down with a a little bit of diabetes like i thought you just had it or you don't like i'm not a medical expert but i didn't know you could like have about like a little case of it like it's a cold like i laughed pretty hard at that um my brother has type a diabetes and just the fact that she came down with a mild case of diabetes is hysterical but i guess you know back in the 80s like diabetes was so confusing like to the point where like the main people, if you didn't have it, you didn't know what it was or what, you know, how it worked. And other than just like, it was, it involved your blood sugar, but you are correct. If you, you typically have it or you don't have it typically, I know, I don't, I'm not sure about type B, but type A it's, I mean, your pancreas just does not produce insulin. So you have, you have it, you have it for the rest of your life. Right. Like I know several people and I don't know their type or too much about it, but I know that once, yeah, it's, I mean, you can manage it and, you know, 
but it's something that stays with you. It's not like a cold where you <laughs> you are in bed rest for a few days and pop some vitamin C and you're back to normal. Like, <laughs> the doctor was like, take two of these. Call me in the morning. Like, was... Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, let your grandma rest and, and sit by the sea, like rest seaside. <laughs> so strange. Yeah. Advises they spend the summer by the sea at a seaside hotel, which sets us up for the uh, rest of the sort of crazy movie. So, yeah, they go to to this gigantic, awesome, uh, high end hotel. Well, I I don't know. It's really big, but I don't know if I would you say it's a five star because they obviously think there's problems with mice and uh, bugs. But I it has to so. be. It looks yeah. It looks pretty ritzy, and if if it's good enough for the Grand High Witch, I would say that it's pretty high end. Right. And when they, oh, I forgot to mention that he gets a set of mice for his birthday, right? Isn't that? Yeah, he does. Yeah. And that was interesting to me too, because it's like, he gets these mice and right away he's like, I'm going to train them to be in the circus. And grandma's like, cool. Like, yeah, do whatever you want. (laughs) Right. Like this is a rad grandma. I had a rad grandma and she'd probably be all about this. Like I had guinea pigs and stuff as a kid, but like this kid takes his mice on vacation with them to the uh, giant nice hotel. And obviously the manager who's Mr. Bean is not cool with it. And grandma's like straight up, like threatening him with lawsuits and bad publicity and stuff. Like right away, you know, confrontational about it. I'm like, damn grandma's, you know, going right at it. She's very protective. They, like they do, they do such a good job in this with, um, with her and the boy being like, you know, together right. and for one another. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good because like, and the boy, they, they established that so well. And as a kid, I would never have noticed this, but you know, she has her diabetes spell uh, during his birthday and, you know, she kind of with, you know, with that kind of ruins his birthday in a way. Yeah. She apologizes. It's okay. You know, it's, I don't care. You know, I don't mind being a mouse. You know, he's like, he's so like, he's so down to earth for being like a little boy that his parents have passed away. Like you really like, you really feel for them and feel for them both. Just, just, just with, you know, with everything that's gone down, just thought it was a good, uh, good establishing of those two characters. Absolutely. Like you definitely, a hundred percent root for them. Like there's no, there's, there's a clear line in the sand here that you want them to take out the high witch and all the witches. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and like you said, they, they make you really feel for them and relate to them. Everybody, you know, has a relationship with a family member that they're close to. And I was really close to my grandma. So I, you know, felt this and yeah, it, it was, it was very sweet. And like you said, uh, what a, what a nice patient kid. Um, you know, he, his, she apologized deeply for ruining his birthday. And he's like, no, it's cool. I got mice. Can I go train my mice? You know, yeah. <laughs> really cool. But um, I think that also, you know, sets it up to send them to this, this hotel and be really close. And, and uh, this is sort of where we're introduced to Angelica Houston's character of the uh, grand high witch. She comes in and she's got her assistant following and all these women who are just, head over heels for her. We don't really know right away that she's, I mean, we're not supposed to the grand high witch, but it's pretty obvious, right? When she walks in, especially (laughs) I I imagine a kid might, you know, take them a little bit to, to figure it out. But like, I think 
since we're watching this after, you know, even with our limited knowledge on it, it's, you know, I think everybody sort of knows that she's going to be the, the lead and have to be the witch. Yeah. Yeah. She's on the front of the box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, really cool. Like I, I thought her character was awesome. She has that sort of German accent. Um, wears the super nice, you know, clothes and, uh, very sultry for a witch, very, uh, attractive older mm-hmm. lady. Um, very cool. I don't know. It just, they introduce her into this and it's like, okay, here's our villain. You know, we have the, the good guys here, are the bad guys. And it just takes some time to get us into, Oh, and we also meet, um, the fat little kid. Um, yes. Yeah. I forget his name already, but he was the, like right away when Luke meets this little dude, um, I'm trying to look up his name real quick to see, but he is like eating. What was he? He's like pulling something off of the rolls. Like I think he was pulling the raisins out of like, the <laughs> yeah. Biscuits. yeah. And he was complaining that they use uh, margarine instead of real butter. Yeah. Uh, Very spoiled. Yeah, he's sort of the opposite of Luke where, you know, we Luke is happy with what little he has. He's happy with his mice and living with grandma and, and helping taking care of her and making sure she's OK. And this kid's like the spoiled little shit with, you know, rich parents, yeah. uh, just sort of a little dickhead. They set up this character. And, <laughs> I mean, once again, uh, we've all knew this character growing up, too. There was always the kid in every friend group that everybody sort of hated, but he hung out anyways. Yeah, I have Super Nintendo and Sega. I have both. <laughs> nice. He's that kid. Yep. Yep. That's exactly the kid in the neighborhood that had everything. And yeah. uh, so we meet them and he's there's sort of this frenzy in the hotel once the grand high witch arrives like there's just constant energy something's always happening there um there's a point where the hotel manager you know is convinced that he's trying to convince them that they can't keep the mice there grandma stands up for luke and tells them you know i i heard there's you know that these mice are the least of your problems. You have roaches and this and that, and I'll go to the media and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I feel like Luke's a little, um, a little loose with his mice. He's, uh, I mean, I, I have to sort of side on Mr. Stringer at some point where (laughs) Luke, Luke's just lets them run around. I'm like, you gotta be responsible with your, like, there's a point where he just takes them out of the cage and he's, and he's like, I'm going to go explore the hotel with my mice, grandma. And she's like, yeah, okay, have fun. It's like, no, like they were just in there telling you not to do this. And you went right out the door with your mice. Keep them in the room. Don't take them to the main banquet hall and start teaching them how to tightrope. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's adorable. Like, you know, we, we have hamsters, so I, I'm an animal lover and I'm like, Oh, the mice are adorable. And, I I did not know going into this sort of the mouse connection, to be honest. I didn't even know that much. Um, So, yeah, once once we sort of get the established shots of the everybody, we are introduced to all these characters, the rich family that's staying there and Luke and his grandma. Then we have the hotel manager and then all the witches are there. But um, the money scene. Yeah. Angelica Houston ushers all all of the women into this banquet room make sure all the doors are closed and locked for this big presentation. And we, like you said, we get the big money shot where 
she like basically tells everyone you can take off your hats and wigs which was another rule that or another thing that grandma pointed out at the beginning of the movie that the witches have to wear wigs so they're always itching their heads from the rashes Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that scene i was already sold on the movie but after this scene i was 100 percent sold like when they start just kind of like taking off their their wigs and like their teeth you can see like their real teeth and uh, many of the many of the witches in the in the in the crowd are, are men uh if you know if you look close oh yeah yep <laughs> like this is great uh and then like when angelica houston starts taking off uh her mask that was awesome i was like i i had to like stop and think like wait this is rated the right correct rating right this isn't before they could figure out what pg-13 was or you know is this whatever like that that scene was awesome i that's when i was 100 percent sold yeah i mean this is where we start to realize where jim henson comes into the story yeah uh it's totally i mean plausibility believability i mean as a kid you're not gonna think about it. of course i'm thinking like how does she fit that giant nose under the skin mask how do they all have crazy teeth now where they you know how did they do that but it, they show them taking off the teeth and the skin but you know obviously she's like the gnarliest of gnarly witches she has yeah big huge jutting nose and this chin with a big gnarly hairy wart right on the side of it and <laughs> so the opposite of angelica houston but yeah clearly her under the makeup giving an awesome performance and she she basically sheds her skin and tells all the witches of her new um big scheme she's got this liquid that they're gonna feed all the kids in the world that will turn them into mice in like 28 seconds or something i forget the yeah exact depending time. on how much they use of their of this potion you know it, it can be sudden or it can be it can take its time like just depending on how much they use and I imagine as a kid watching this, it's like, man, if this is real, like this is terrifying, you know, it's like <laughs> they're basically like, like aiming this right at kids. Like, you know, they, they don't tell you why they hate the kids or yeah. anything. They're just these witches want all kids to be turned to mice and then they can kill the mice. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very straightforward. But like you said, this this is the big money shot. They're They're doing these panning shots of the crowd some close-ups of certain witches that have taken off their wigs. And like you said, many of them are actually men in women's clothing, bald men who uh, it's very obvious, but it makes them, you know, more ugly. In yeah, a way. They're just, and, yeah. Yeah. Very ugly. <laughs> and the bill and all the women are just absolutely enamored by the high witch. And, you know, one of them stands up and she asks a question and the high witch just like shuts her down and embarrasses her in front of the others makes an example of her Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm trying to think of if they they brought in did they bring in a kid and do it on him or how did they sort of show the potion first well i i they they blew up one witch i remember remember okay and then they brought in the the chunky boy oh yes Uh, yes you're right yeah the little dickhead yeah they like lured him in with a chocolate bar Yes. They told, oh, they, yeah, she told him that he could have like so many chocolate bars if he came to this banquet. So he comes in strutting like he's fucking king, like, yep. where's my chocolate bars, ladies? And they get him to take this liquid. And it that scene is horrifying too. Like, this whole sequence yes. is so terrifying. The transformation from 
kid to mouse holy shit if i was a kid i would be sweating like i do not want this to happen to me because it's a frenzy like it looks very painful it sort of reminds me of like scenes in movies where they're showing um how they test on mice in like a lab when they're <laughs> like mice are like in in pain with like acid right. on them and stuff like where, where you imagine like they're testing shampoos and stuff on mice it's just and you know they sort of shrink in their own clothing then fall and then he's a, a cute little mouse afterwards but um the transformation you, is horrifying have you ever seen um twilight zone the movie yeah uh his transformation reminded me so much of uh one of the stories in the twilight zone movie where uh i can't think of the story i think i can't even remember who did it now um uh but it's it's the scene where the kid can make anything happen with his mind okay and there's like the 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 rabbit coming out of the tv and it's just like this rubber shaking like gnarly figure coming out of the television like grabbing the main girl like it really reminded me of that just the way it's shot and like it's almost like the the frame rate hit goes up a little bit higher and it, it they maybe even speed it up a little bit just to for effect uh-huh. But like that always freaks me out and like that scene most definitely freaked me out i'm like is this kid like is he really gonna turn into like like a human form mouse or is he gonna like explode like what's gonna happen and then yeah he eventually just becomes very small and then he's just a, a just a tiny mouse yeah the they sort of have different phases of the kid like there's a phase where he has still has like he has mouse ears and a like a mouse nose but yeah. he still has a human head shape and stuff and like the middle stages are definitely the creepiest and they they make it seem very painful too. Like yeah. they're suffering as they're going, which it definitely adds to it. Like he's like spinning and, and there's like fog and smoke and your, your, your mind sort of fills in the gaps. It's almost made me think too of the transformation in like American werewolf where it just doesn't look like it. This looks very painful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Luke this entire time is hiding behind some like Venetian blinds, directly next to the stage they somehow do not see him or smell him until later right because that's one of the other um rules or the uh ways that the things that grandma sets up is that they can smell kids because he was scared he's like i just i just bathed grandma they can't (laughs) smell me and she's like oh they that means that they can smell you better and kids smell like it's really strange detail that kids smell like dog droppings yeah that yeah, I thought kids, kids smell like dog shit. Yeah. I mean, that that's just such a strange um specific detail they kept from the book. Like they couldn't just be like, kids smell bad to the witches. They had to be very specific that they smell like dog shit. And uh That's just I think it's like a fun thing for kids too. Oh yeah, probably something, you know, every kid stepped in dog shit as, you know, right. playing baseball in the backyard or whatever. So um but you know, we we almost think that Luke is out of the situation because he's he's been, you know, sort of creeping. I mean, he he's not doing his best hiding, but um, he's a kid in the movie and he's very curious. He's watched this whole thing. And it, it also reminds me of like the Bond movies or something where the villain just let the entire plan out and someone happens to be watching. It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, now that we know the whole plan and Luke knows, but I knew Luke was not going to get out of the room. Um, basically, they're almost they're all celebrating they're getting ready to leave and then i think it's her assistant or her the um second in charge which is the one that's like i smell something you know and 
obviously his mice escape and he goes chasing after him and he's spotted. So they, they capture Luke and they also turn him into a mouse. So now Luke is a cute little mouse, but he does escape from them because they, they turn him into a mouse and then they instantly try to smash him. They're like, yeah, we're going to make you a mouse and then stomp on you, which happens later in a movie and it's horrifying not to lose, but <laughs> yeah. they do step on a mouse and it like splatters. And it's like, we were, I was watching this with my wife and she was like, that that's like mortifying. Like it just like, they're just stomping it's so on quick too. Yeah. There's like, yeah, just like no remorse, just stomping yeah. on mice. But um, he turns into a mouse and then that, this is sort of the second, I guess, uh, scenes where we sort of get the Jim Henson stuff. It's really cool. He, he climbs down into the floor and he he finds his little chubby friend who's also a mouse and they realize they can talk to each other and they can understand. And I, I thought it was adorable that he finds his two mice and he tries talking to them and they're yeah. just they're just mice so they can't talk. But um, <laughs> I, I just love the idea. Like as a kid, I would freaking love to be turned into a dog to hang out with my dog. Like, right. You know, right. as as a kid in your kid mind, it'd be like, this is I mean, not so bad. I mean yeah you're a mouse not a kid anymore but like now i can explore everywhere and you know they get to see like he obviously is obsessed with his pet mice so he gets to talk to them and uh i thought for sure that those mice were going to come into play later in the movie to like save him out of a situation because they had you know they were he was taking good care of them yeah and i thought maybe they would come back you know and and you know he's like hanging like off a ledge or something and right like they reach out their little mice hands and pull them up or something i don't know or i just I, figured that they would come back in the story so did i or that they would like offer an, a distraction or yeah like they would work with him even though they can't talk like they're mice they're smart <laughs> they work together like he was teaching them to tightrope walk and stuff so i figured that right. yeah there would be some kind of cool caper with the four of them like the two human mice kids and the two mice mice which yeah. is a weird thing to be talking about the uh, puppet we're... mice yeah were like the the most adorable thing ever like oh yeah it's like that like that's cliche perfect like jim henson stuff right there that, oh absolutely and it looks so good and i every time we talk about something in this movie that looks so good after i watched this movie i watched the trailer to the new one and i was like oh my god that looks so bad hopefully it's not that bad but then i keep thinking about this one and how good everything looks and how practical everything looks. There's not a lot of like, you know, after effects or special effects. Like right. it's, what you see on camera is it, the real deal. Like that's what's so cool about these Jim Henson movies. Yeah, there's a certain charm to that. And it's like you said, when we see them, the mice puppets for the first time, like I think my my wife was just like, oh like the yeah. biggest like <laughs> all throughout the house like you could just hear it the neighbors probably heard it because it was they're adorable it's like i want one of those little puppet mice they're so cute right. uh and they sell it pretty well because uh from what i've read there was three different sizes of puppet mice there was the a mice which were the size of actual mice being operated by little tiny hair thin cables Oh, there, boy. there was a bee mice which were were also cable controlled were about the size of a la very large rat and then the C type, which was a very expressive, large hand puppet, about three feet feet tall. But they <laughs> uh, they only used the huge ones in, it says, about four shots um, because 
they found it very hard to cut from a close-up of the human to a close-up of the mouse and get the scale oh. scale right. Um, so they ended up using mostly the A and B mice. There's only, a, I think, very uh, few shots used from the big ones, but um, th- he preferred to keep the width of the shot the same, so the miniature mice and, and scaled-down sets were most often used for that. And you really couldn't. I mean, I I could t- obviously tell when it went to the their real their real counterparts, like the real mice, and but and back to the puppets. But like either way, they I couldn't tell which A, B, C right. mice were being used at the time. Yeah, and even the transitions from real mice to the uh, the whatever A, B, or C mice, like the real mice versus puppet mice, was not like at all jarring to me. Like yeah, pretty it seamless. Was, yeah, if I was a kid like i would be completely convinced you know we're pretty spoiled now but to me seeing it and there's just something about and you know i I feel like everybody preaches the whole cgi versus practical all the time but this is a prime example like compare this to the new one which i haven't even seen but just seen on the trailer it's like i just i know that's not a mouse on the screen but when it's in person and you can see the puppets, it's not only is it adorable, but it's just more believable. Yeah. Cause it's something yeah. there. And I can imagine as an actor, it's probably so much nicer to act when there's something there to act at, you know, as opposed to like a green ball or whatever they use for the CGI. Yeah. And you know what? The, uh, that, that fucking green ball, like they, I see that every time on a behind the scenes special feature and in the movie, it never, ever looks like the real person is looking at what they're supposed to be looking at. Like, right. they're looking into nothing. Like, there's just no focus there. I don't know. I'm not a CGI liker. <laughs> no, me either. I always find it interesting. Like, when I, when I talk about this, I sort of go back to Simon Pegg talking about how he showed his son the Star Wars movies. And when they got to the prequels, he saw Yoda as CGI and he was like, that there's, that's not Yoda. And he's like, right. Yeah, it's Yoda. And he's like, but he's not really there. And his kid doesn't understand how CGI works. He just knows that in the original movies, Yoda was actually there. And now he's seen, and it's like, that's not, uh, that's like a cartoon. That's not Yoda. And it's like his little kid brain could like compute that, you know, what I'm seeing is not really there as opposed to the real Yoda. And it's like, we have to remember that, you know, in film that you can, you can make stuff, you know, look fantastic and put so much money and time into it. And our brains still know the difference. It was just, you know, it's hard to replace. If you can go with Jim Henson, you go with Jim Henson. Right. And, and I never really put it together. Like earlier when we were talking about this director, how he did the man from man who fell from earth, like, you know, he he did that with Bowie and then Bowie did Labyrinth. I'm like, I wonder if there's that connection there where, you know, that's how mm. they, you know, this director got involved with this movie. But um, yeah, we, we get a lot of little capers with the mice um, basically trying to, uh, I think Luke's just trying to get back to his grandma, make sure she's okay and let her know that, hey, I'm a mouse now, grandma. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, of course, as two little kids stuck in a giant hotel, as mice with this information that they now know um, were put into all sorts of fun situations where they're running down the halls and trying to hide and they're hitching rides on uh, hotel carts and stuff. And eventually Luke gets back to grandma tells her. And of course grandma completely believes because uh, grandma earlier in the movie sort of when she's eating with Luke before he turned into a mouse, she sort of um, 
she says, oh, I think I know her from somewhere, the High Witch. So they, they yeah. never really touch on that, but it's it's like Grandma's missing the finger. Um, now she's recognizing, you know, the High Witch. It's like, okay, we're, we're there's some hints to a backstory. Grandma must have been like a badass who probably like was after her at some point. Um, but, you know, Luke the mouse sneaks in, talks to grandma. So she's, she's on board now. So we got at least one human helping out. Um, fat kids, parents don't believe it. They think that grandma's a nut. So trying to bring them a mouse when she's really trying to bring their kid as a mouse. Um, and we don't need to go over every beat of the story, but, um, we, we do eventually end up at a scene where the, kids as mice um sneak the liquid into the food the the soup for all the yes. all the witches and we have another pretty horrifying scene where they're all turning into mice um and this one's this is where we get to like the the mouse smashing <laughs> this is like <laughs> where mr bean is smashing mice all over the the uh dining room and uh killing them left and right and some gnarly some gnarly witch transformations too. They also set the um, kind of set the tone of that witches are everywhere because he puts the vial of the uh, special formula into the crass soup. And um, the person who's making the soup is a witch and she tastes like taste tests. It. Yeah. And then she becomes the mouse that Angelica Houston, the Grand High Witch, like smashes underneath the table, like instantly. She's coming out to warn them. Yeah, she just like no questions, <laughs> it just smashes her. Yeah, it's it's brutal because like we see her transformation. She's running through the kitchen, trying to hide the fact that she's turning into a mouse and that mm -hmm. she was a witch. Because we see the scene of her stirring the pot and we see her fingers, so we know she's a witch, and she tastes it. Um, I was a little freaked out by the hygienic proper, like the hygienic uh, protocols in this kitchen. But I imagine that, you know, most kitchens are like this and I probably don't want the details, but they're like all tasting out of spoons and putting them back in the soup, uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And obviously we're in a time where germs are, you know, right up front and we're all sort of a little uh, germaphobic right now. So right. watching stuff like that now is even more alarming, but um, like he's getting like that. Well, it was like a steak or like a piece of chicken and just like, like slapping it against the inside of a trash can. <laughs> yeah. Cause it back on the plate. Yeah. Cause the customer didn't want something on it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that happens all the time. I just don't want to, I don't want to see it, but um, I don't want to believe it, but I'm sure it happens. Yeah. And like you said earlier with the scene where um, the, Luke as a mouse gets his tail hit with a like a cleaver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was like, I mean, you feel so like you're really, really, really rooting for Luke and um, the the other mouse in this movie, and especially Luke. And when he gets hit, it's like it's it's like oh no. It's funny because you know we we've watched so much crazy stuff. We watched him transform into a mouse. We watched all this stuff, but like it's jarring. Mm. It was so jarring to me when he got his tail clipped with a with a knife. I was like, oh no. My so much at stake. Yeah. Mm. And my wife like jumped. She's like, oh, is he okay? Is he okay? Yeah. She was like so worried about this. Uh she was totally invested in this, which to me is like someone she was just sort of in the room while I was watching it. And then suddenly like she was totally invested in this movie. So that to me it's like good storytelling when someone who's not really even trying to watch it can't look away. Like she was totally yeah. into it. But yeah, uh, and they start stomping everybody in the in the banquet hall, and you got uh, Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, in there uh, 
just smashing, <laughs> helping, <laughs> smashing the witches. Just a pretty, a, a pretty funny scene. Gross, and you know, there's like soup everywhere, and it's like the green, very gooey yeah. soup. Yeah, good scene. Yeah, lots of like uh, green sort of fog coming out when they smashed them too. Like, yeah, yeah, it's very uh, like feels like they did a good job of emulating what like my kid imagination would have thought up. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm gonna turn into mice and smash them, and there's gonna be like green goop and gore and stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool, but uh, yeah, they they basically take out the witches and that's sort of the end of that part of the story. Then we sort of go back and Luke is still a mouse. They're back at home and he's still a mouse. And it's like, Oh, well this is sort of like a sad ending. And then, and then (laughs) kind of was, but, but then they, they sort of circle around and give us the happy ending that we want where the second in charge, which she, she was still alive. And throughout the movie, she sort of, uh, I guess hinted the fact that she wasn't happy where she was. She actually, she made it very clear. She did not like how the, um, how she was treated by the other witches and what they were doing and stuff. And she comes back and redeems herself by turning Luke back into a human. um, Which by the way, was that, was that pretty, pretty fucking weird to you? Oh, absolutely (laughs) dude. Like I was like, we're going to talk about that. That was really awkward. Um, He, he, so grows really fast he's naked and he explodes like a uh the ghostbusters house yeah he's in the uh the real <laughs> ghostbusters firehouse yeah. now when he, when he rolls up in there i'm thinking okay he's not gonna stay a mouse something's gonna happen either it's gonna like the the potion's gonna wear off it was never supposed to work something's gonna happen to where he's no longer a mouse so in my head i'm like oh cool he's in the real ghostbusters firehouse what's gonna happen because they made it clear that his clothes fall off when he turned into a mouse is that he's going to grow big. His head's going to go through the roof and his arms are going to come out through the sides of the windows of the firehouse. And he's like going to be wearing the firehouse. I'm like, right. that, that's like a perfect goofy ending. Right. No, which this would make sense. Jumps out fucking naked. Like, <laughs> just so weird. Right. And it goes runs straight to the window. Right. Yeah, doesn't he's not embarrassed, um, not not right. mo- not modest. Like, what's up, Grandma? I'm human. I'm naked. Uh, what? How did that happen? Let me go look out the window and wave at the. the lady. <laughs> no shame. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Uh, and he rides up in like the Lego Space Mountain monorail thing. Yes. Like, is like, just right away. I was like, is that the real Ghostbusters firehouse? Of course, when I look it up, it was. Uh, just a strange sort of thing to include in there, and and like you said, that would have made your ending would have made much more sense and made me a lot less uncomfortable. Uh, (laughs) I wonder why they chose that. Why do you think they did that that way? I do not know. Like we know he's going to be naked, but like they could have literally done it any other way. And instead of him just like leaping out, I don't know. Right. (laughs) And he's, he's given, he gives grandma or has, has a big suitcase full of money and a, little black book with all the witches in the world with all their addresses in it. And this is when he's still a mouse and he's like, we're going to take on all the witches grandma. And it's like, all right, but you're still a mouse. And then, yeah, he, he turns into, and I think when he, which makes even less sense when he comes out, he's not wearing any clothes, but somehow has his glasses. Yeah. Oh no. She, um, the good witch, uh, respawns them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She, and she respawns his mice. Oh and, yes, yes, he does still he gets his mice back, which is great news. Um but yeah, they really set this up hardcore for a sequel. Like 
like get grandma yeah. and him are going to go to the United States and they're going to take out the grand high witch there or more witches. They're just going to, they're like, they're like, you know, bounty, witch you know, witch hunters, like just, just, yeah. It doesn't now that like, I, I didn't even think about the way you sort of framed up the ending, but that makes so much more sense, especially for the tone of the movie. It would have been how funny, like he's wearing this, like, you know, the firehouse as clothes. That would have been, yeah perfect perfect little funny ending and they for some reason didn't do that Did not go that way <laughs> no but uh yeah i guess we can sort of take a quick break and we'll be right back you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. All right, so... I'm just going to read off some of the stuff I read online. If you've read anything too, feel free to uh, chime in with some stuff. I just always like doing a little bit of the trivia from IMDb. Yeah. Um, stuff I found interesting. There's a ton, there's just tons of stuff about this one. And I would like to watch this with like a director's commentary. If there is one, mm -hmm. uh, just because I feel like maybe we'd get some of the answers, but I'm, I'm going to jump right into the bottom of my list because it was just something we were talking about. Um, with that ending, um, Dahl hated the happy ending because that's not how the book ended. Um, he hated the happy ending in which a sorceress appears to transform the mouse back to a boy. In the ending of his novel, the boy is still a mouse with he and his grandfather, grandmother making a plan to bring down the witches. Luke learns that mice can probably live only another nine years and decides that in the end, himself and his grandma will die together. <laughs> So that's a pretty grim ending, but it's like, it makes sense because they're so close that he's like, I want to, I, I can only live another nine years and grandma's probably only going to live about that long. So we can just live the rest of our lives together. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's like that dedicated to grandma that he's that like, fits tonally with the beginning of the movie. I don't know if by the end it really does. Though. Yeah. And so he was like super pissed about the happy ending. So the studio gave the director uh, the okay and they went ahead and shot the ending uh, that was more faithful to the book where Luke remains a mouse in addition to the happy ending and they test screened both of them um, obviously the the result was that people did yeah. not like him um, staying a mouse because that was super sad and I guess it was to the point where uh, the doll was like really pissed about it and wanted his name off of it um wanted completely like didn't want his name in the credits wanted no association with it uh he called it he, he was appalled by uh the vulgarity of it uh the, and the bad taste uh the actual terror in the film like the stuff that we were talking about that's really, all the good stuff yeah exactly he was yeah. just uh appalled by it because that's not how he envisioned it when he wrote the book um 
but he okay i'm sorry no go ahead like he he had a problem with this like did he not see uh willy wonka in the chocolate factory like right like like the whole scene when they're inside the tunnel and you know a chicken gets its head cut off like (laughs) where where was he at then but but no 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 angelica houston ripping her face off that's vulgar (laughs) yeah i don't it seems i don't know i guess like i said sort of like he's uh, a weird dude like he has a thing in his will doesn't he like where he um he he like he has like i don't know what like stipulations if 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 his stories are going to be adapted to movies he has like this criteria that has to be met before they can become movies right i i don't know this is news to me so that's cool like so I was just like, I think I'd read that somewhere that I could be totally false on that. But if somebody's listening, please correct me. But like, um, I thought he did. He had like some kind of like criteria set. I, and maybe this was after, I don't know what movie, but you know, because some of his adaptions, you know, can be garbage. But um, I thought he had some like uh, criteria to be met before they could be filmed and made into a movie, which doesn't make much sense when you see things like Charlie and the chocolate factory, right. <laughs> which I think is like terrible. Yeah. So obviously whatever he has in his will is like, uh, is something weird and bizarre. And like the first thing I thought of when I saw the remake or well, the new adaption trailer um, was like, well, this looks like a Charlie in a chocolate factory. Like yep. in Hathaway is holding a cat. That's like not even there. Like it's a totally fake cat or it's a real cat with a CGI face. Like I'm thinking, I don't, I don't have high hopes for it. I don't, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let the witches, the eighties version, the simmer a little while with me before I go to that one. But I think he's, a, I think he's a weird dude or was a weird dude. Yeah. And, but I, it makes sense now. Like, after reading how protective he was of this story, um, it makes sense that he would have something in his will to, you know, protect his releases. But also, again, I could see like his estate basically, you know, he, he I'm, I assume he was probably passed by the time Tim Burton did uh, Willie Wa- or the, was it Charlie in the shock factory? Charlie. Ah, oh, gosh, I hope so. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, the estate's probably a little more flexible than he was. They could probably be like, he meets the, minimum criteria and you know as long as they get their money but um yeah that's that's probably true as the state's probably like well we need some money go ahead and let's do another adaption right uh lissy doll has stated that that um rual doll never again requested someone for a role in his book after the producers of willy wonka and the chocolate factory denied his request to cast spike milligan as the title character which i don't even know who spike milligan is i don't know who that is either but he was ecstatic when Angelica Houston was cast as the Grand High Witch, as he had been, as she had been Dahl's personal favorite pick for the role. So hmm. he was stoked about that, and then saw the movie and was like, "This is disgusting! I can't believe you filmed everything I wrote in this book." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't know. It's like, I mean, they could have your story, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, and and you know, Jim Henson, like you got Jim Henson to do it, and it looks fantastic. Like, it still holds up all these years later it's really cool oh, yeah so i don't know i feel like some authors just have i mean obviously they wrote it so they have this vision in their head of how things are going to go but um i don't know this guy's i mean compared to someone like stephen king i hate to keep comparing the two but there's quite a few stephen king stinkers out there and um oh yeah yeah doll has has quite a few great ones you know i would say the the original 
Willy Wonka is fantastic. I love that mm-hmm. movie. This is a really good adaptation. Um, and maybe it's because I don't read his books, but you know, I'm, I'm on board with these two and, you know, it's hard to, you know, get better than this. This is really cool. And, mm-hmm. uh, in the book, the boy doesn't even have a name in the film. He is called Luke. So in the book, there's Luke does not oh. even have Luke. I thought that it's was sort of interesting. What? Kind of just about shit writing then? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> It took Angelica Houston eight hours of makeup time to transform into the Grand Witch and like another six to get out of it. Uh, she was apparently pretty grumpy on set on the day where they filmed the banquet scene because uh, the state, like all the lighting and everything, I can imagine mm. under all that latex would just be awful. And they said, you know, she sort of became like later in the day when they're filming, she was so grumpy that it made their performance better because she was just like, trying to get through it fast and she was already pissed and it just made her like her character even more. Yeah. Let it out. And just was, it just was sort of channeling an actual witch. And they said that, you know, got it really good. Sort of the later takes. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. The list of people who were considered for the part of the grand high, Witch, um, and of course this is all supposed to be taken with a grain of salt. Cause I'm just pulling it off the internet. Yeah. Um, but the list I saw was share Eartha kit, uh fiona fullerton genevieve bujold um helen mirren and mm-hmm. bancroft olivia hussey would have been cool uh sigourney weaver i could see that mm-hmm. uh linda linda blair faye dunaway susan sarandon uh jody foster vanessa redgrave francis conroy and liza minnelli Jeez. and liza minnelli were the other ones so wow i don't i don't know how far along you know this just considered so right it doesn't mean that any of them read or even contacted um it sounds yeah. it sounds like maybe she's angelica houston was you know doll's first pick and the i'm sure the director liked her and it seemed to be you know the right choice obviously looking at it uh down down the road i thought you know perfect casting still yeah. holds up and this was the last film Jim Henson personally oversaw, which is sad. It came out Aww. in, uh, I think, in the UK, it came out like two weeks after he passed. And then, you know, it did so well um, critically that they held off in the US. It was going to get like a limited release or just a sort of a small release here in the US. And after it tested so well, they held on to it for a Aww. bit so they could do a bigger um promotion like put out more so press and, it for a little bit yeah and i think the company that i don't have this in my notes but the company that um oversaw the production of it they folded their theatrical um their their little um i don't even know what you call it, company label or? yeah label that was uh just doing theatrical movies that folded so someone else had to go and pick it up and find a way to get it out there um so this was their last uh oh, film too gosh yeah, so it it sort of. Well, I'm glad they did. Yeah, it sort of struggled. It took you know a year from I think the time it came out there until it came here, but uh, yeah, I'm glad it came out. And it's sort of sad that you know it didn't do great, but if it, like it's one of those cult classics that people are still talking about today, and I'm just so stoked to finally get this one off the list myself. Yeah, to to discover it, finally get to watch it. Um, you know seeing the box forever you know and never ever picking it up and like going back to like we were talking about earlier it's like what what you haven't seen this like like i get that a lot like you know like if you looked at my watch list on letterbox 
you can see there's some pretty big movies on there that I've never seen. And like, if I bring those up anytime, I'm usually, I usually met with like, oh, what? oh, you haven't seen this? Like, oh my God. Oh my God. And like, and you know, like if that, that happens, you know, once or twice, I'm okay. But like, if it keeps coming back, somebody keeps doing that to me, like in my head, I'm like, you know what? fuck you i'm not watching it like yeah like, yeah like a chip like on your shoulder mentality. yeah like you know what i'm not gonna watch it because of you like i don't know like like i don't know why i do that i'm not a hateful person but it's just like you know what this one's going to the bottom of the list now like i'm not gonna watch it. well I, I think that's sort of what drove like jason and mike this whole thing started because i had been trying to get them to watch twin peaks when the <laughs> return came out and i was like you guys like we're prime age. Like I was too young to watch Twin Peaks when it originally aired, mm-hmm. but discovered it later. They were like the perfect age for it. And Mike admitted later after I had gotten him to watch it, like he was um a little too like smug about it. He was like, Yeah, when that came out, it was like ABC, it was network television, and it was really popular. So I was too cool for it. He was like, you yeah, know, I, yeah. he was he was into like He's like, oh, David Lynch is cool, but like, I like a racerhead David Lynch, not Twin Peaks David Lynch. <laughs> and, Lost Highway David Lynch. <laughs> right. So, so like, you know, it's like for a long time he avoided it. And then when it became such a big thing and, you know, it became a cult thing. And then later uh, with the return, a lot of new fans came on board. And uh, I think me trying to get him and Jason to watch it, they sort of did the same thing where it's like, well, I'm just not going to watch it just because I know it pisses you off. And I was like, come on, come on. And so I made that agreement with him. I'm like, if you guys watch just the pilot and we talk about it on the podcast, you guys can each pick a movie for me to watch that I've never seen that you've, you know, um, because I have a lot of stuff. They're Mm -hmm. constantly finding out, you know, oh my God. I mean, we just did an episode of three movies I've never seen on Attack of the Killer podcast. uh, Oh, nice. Because they were shocked that I had never seen Night of the Demons. Uh, I had never seen Night of the Lepus, and then uh, I'm trying to think of the third one, but oh, Night of the Comet. I had never seen any oh. three of those. Like we were going down the list, I'm like, never seen it, never seen it. And they're like, what, what, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I also want to get rid of that stigma too, where like people are t- so embarrassed to tell people about it, so they go, oh, it's right. E- either they say, oh, I haven't seen it in like forever. I, I probably, I know, I don't remember, or I've only seen parts of it. Those, I, I'm guilty of saying that at times where movies that I've never seen any part of, but I don't want to like get that reaction. Right. It's yeah. yeah, It's all about the reaction. Like, you know, I used to do that exact same thing. And now I just say, no, I haven't seen it. But then I'm, I'm kind of putting that boat. Like I'm in the point where they're either going to one, uh, tell me I should watch it when I get a chance or two, they're going to tell me all about it and ruin it. So like, it's kind of a gamble. It's kind of like, you gotta see who you're talking to. No, you know, uh, if this is a person that's going to ruin it for you, or if this is a person that's going to say, Hey, you should probably watch this. Like you kind of have to gauge that response. Yeah. Like I, when I saw your list, your watch list, uh, there's quite a few on there. I haven't seen too. And I was, it it got me excited. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, this is like a sweet opportunity. We can, you know, I can pick something we can watch, you know, both watch it for the first time and experience it. Like one of my, this is why I do the podcast because one of my favorite things is to introduce people and, and get their reaction and I, I'm guilty of like, you know, especially in like high school, I was the dude like I had uh, I lived at my mom's house, but I had the basement to myself and it had its Ooh. own its own entrance. And we had like a couch and a futon. And it was like where everyone hung out like we had I had my own kitchen down there, my own bathroom. It was like my own place, basically. And so 
I would have like movie nights every weekend and we just pack the room and I would be like, Oh, you know, tonight's feature, we're going to watch Donnie Darko and, and, you know, in high school we'd watch it and then like everybody would just like their minds would be blown, you know, at the end of the night. And they're like, man, this Tad guy, he has, you know, he, he shows the craziest movies and I still, all the movies. Right. And and still every year, you know, I, I, I rent out the Capitol theater and I bring people for my birthday and I do a surprise double feature where people don't know what I'm playing. And oh um, yeah. And I I've unleashed quite a, and it's like my favorite thing is to introduce this stuff to, to friends. So when I find stuff that I haven't seen that other friends, you know, I, I, to me, I celebrate that. Like I, I wish I had, you know, more friends who haven't experienced things. I, I hate the idea of like, shaming someone for not seeing something like it should be celebrated that they get to experience something for the first time yeah yeah that's that's the only reason i watch garbage now because my friends you know they all watch tons and tons of movies all the time so if if i throw something in like spookies or there's nothing out there uh they're like what is this i love showing stuff to people that they've never seen before and if they enjoy it great if they if not then then who cares? But like, it's so cool to, to, to definitely introduce something new to somebody who hasn't seen it. Something, especially something like I enjoy, like that I love that. Like, again, I think that it's garbage and like, okay, I'm the only person that's going to like this. And, it's, and then they're like, well, let's watch something that you like that you ha- that you want to watch and that we haven't seen. And I show it to them and they love it. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like, I, I kind of feel conflicted about it. I'm like, you're not supposed to like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like this is this is for me. This is this is my stuff. But hey, if you if you like it, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just that experience and and like watching it. Obviously, we're in a time where we don't get to really sit with groups of people like we used to and experience things together. Like that was yeah. such a blast, and uh, you know. It, it can't be beat like being in a room full of people as they experience um, like last year or no, two years ago for my birthday, I showed one of the two movies I showed to a group of people, probably a group of like, Oh, 30 to 40 people. I showed uh, the greasy strangler and yeah. people still like still come up to me and they saw they the you know, bullshit artist and, you know, and hootie tootie disco cutie and stuff like that movie stuck in their minds still to this day. Yeah, like they think about it. Everyone's mind. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, especially these people who, you know, other, they basically watch whatever's on Netflix or, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're not like us where they dig deep for stuff. And so when I unleash something like this, it's like, uh, it's, it's like an endorphin rush for me. It's like, oh yes, yeah. so I get to, you know, take them for a wild ride for an hour and a half. So, uh, yeah. One of the last cool experiences me and Alani had was going to see, um, Friday the 13th part three at the Capitol. Like, yeah. That was like, that was right the last movie hit the fan. Yeah. Like, that was literally the weekend before everything closed down. That was the last thing I saw in theaters. Damn. And that, that, <laughs> and that, and that was a blast. Like, you know, yeah. I, that, that was one of my favorite things too, is, you know, showing not, it doesn't even necessarily mean like a movie, but seeing something that you've watched at home a million times, seeing it in a theater with a group of people, and we right. try to make it an event with the pre-show stuff and, you know, you run into friends that you haven't seen in a while and stuff. It's just, you can't be beat. Yeah. You get to see that you get to something that you've watched a hundred million times. You get to see like where the actual jump scares are and <laughs> you get to see where people are actually get scared and where tension is 
which I don't see much in when I watch those movies over and over again. I forget where you're supposed to jump and forget where you're, where things are supposed to be spooky. So it's nice to see it in a, something like that in a big group that you know maybe somebody hasn't seen before and especially see it on the big screen. So that's always the one of the best experiences. Yeah, and it's it's like a there there's pros and cons to showing movies at the theater. Like I'm a very naturally very nervous, anxious person, so I'm constantly worried about the presentation. Is everything mm. looking and sounding good? Is the theater at a temperature good? Like I I oh, yeah, when I'm showing when I'm showing a movie as a projectionist, I usually don't get to enjoy it much, but um like I still love so most of the time i really just focus on the audience and how they react and um sometimes it's great sometimes it's awful i can remember we showed friday the 13th the original and i think we, we we've shown them in order like the one two and three um over the years and mm -hmm. the reactions now that people have especially i think part one was no part two was probably the worst like people were were howling like it was a comedy and it, and, it's, and John Carpenter's Halloween the same thing and it just was like break it, breaking my heart and I'm like uh, I, I don't want to like be here like I, I these people don't appreciate this like everybody's a riffer now right? yeah and it bummed me out but then it then it's like I get my group of friends together for a birthday watch and and they're reacting the way and, and it's natural like I can't expect a crowd to react a certain way everybody is so desensitized to things now yeah but i remember seeing the original friday the 13th when i was in college over at western illinois they did an outdoor screening in october and it was legitimately making people scream and jump and i loved that i was like yeah this is how a crowd should enjoy it because they didn't go people now go into it with the mentality of like i'm not going to be scared of it it's stupid and so i'm going to laugh at it the entire time right it's yep. like you can it's okay to enjoy things you know you don't have uh, it's, <laughs> it's just, okay to be scared right I, I you know it's like i want that so um yeah it's the whole first time experience you know is is such a you know unique thing and i really miss you know it, i i missed introducing people to movies so i'm glad i get to do this and you know I, i'm glad i'm getting introduced to things too like yeah you know, I'm, I'm hopeful some more people I've ha already had some people reach out and I'm trying to branch out from my, my stuff I would normally watch and yeah. see, see things I have. Uh, I won't spoil anything coming up, but I have some musicals coming up and Ooh. yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to like force myself to, to bring on guests that I don't know very well that might not know my personality and just get me to branch out a little bit and yeah. see some get new away stuff. from that comfort food. Yeah and see some new stuff. Cause you know, you never know. I always end up finding stuff. I didn't know I would like, or didn't think I'd like down the road. So yeah. Did you have any final thoughts on the witches before we sort of wrap this up? Oh, you know, we really, we, we sucked its dick pretty hard and <laughs> I really liked it. Um, uh, there, it does have issues, but I mean, the, some of the good stuff, well, some of the stuff that's great, you, you just, you don't pay attention and it'll, it comes out probably going to be one of my favorites. I'm going to probably try to hunt down a physical copy and have it in my collection. I liked it that much. Yeah, me too. I, I was wondering, like I, I haven't even looked, but I was like, I wonder if this is, I'm sure this is on Blu-ray somewhere. Probably not. I would hope like a collector's edition or anything. Yeah. But, uh, I imagine Jim Henson's name alone, you know, it's gotta be. Yeah. Warrants that. And like you said, I, I recognize that poster image and, 
you know, at, that sells it. So I remember mm-hmm. that and I'm sure it's out there. So I'm probably going to pick up a copy too. Uh, before we go, I also, I had a question for you because I know you're in a synth. What, what would you call your band? Finally, some action, like the genre. I don't want to call uh, it the wrong uh, thing and offend. <laughs> it's a synth wave, retro wave, 80s band. I mean, that's that's kind of the genre that we kind of put ourselves into just because there's so many other acts that are like it. Okay, I had, yeah, I had synth wave down and synth pop, but I didn't, you know, I didn't yeah, want synth to. Yeah, synth pop's good, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just wanted to ask, you, you you opened for Tim Capella, right? We did. Tell us what was that like. <laughs> I just want to. I'm sure you have some kind of story, right? I mean, oh yeah. Well, uh, no, he's uh, ob- well. Just I wanna, right off the bat, he is the nicest guy um, ever. Super nice, um, very accommodating. Um, yeah, we played in Des Moines with him, and we were lucky enough to get that show just by who we knew, and. Um, you know, he just kind of shows up and does his thing. And if there's an opener, there's an opener. I remember he came in and uh, he he comes right up to me and I, sh- I shake his hand. I'm like, hey, I'm I'm Dustin. I'm from Finally Some Action. We're opening up for you tonight. And he's like, oh, there's an opener tonight. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's us. And uh, so he he has an incredible setup. He's got like LCD TVs. Um, he's a one man band. He has all of this equipment, uh, you know, drums, synths, uh, you know, all kinds of things to set up. Um, he took probably about two hours to set up and we took about 10 minutes. <laughs> we, had <laughs> yeah. to, we had to set up everything in front of him and um, he was really cool. And I got to, ask, I, I, I wanted to ask him a hundred questions and I think I maybe asked like 50 of them, but uh, I was asking him questions about Mad Max because he plays, he played, uh, saxophone for Tina Turner in the eighties and yeah. like part of the nineties. If you go and watch any Tina Turner videos, he's there. Like he's a percussionist and the saxophone player. Like he's, he like does it all. And I was like, Hey, I, I, you know, me and my friends have this debate, you know, there's uh, in Mad Max, uh, there's the saxophone being played at anti ent- entities uh, loft in that movie. And like, before I could even finish, he's like, Nope, it's not me. I didn't play that saxophone. I'm like, ah, Okay, so there's. I asked them. I asked them a bunch of questions. I asked them about, uh, you know, Lost Boys, obviously, and uh, he loves to tell the Lost Boys stuff. I mean, if you've been to any um, convention and you talk to any of the really cool people at their booths, like he's right on par with that, if not better. He was incredibly cool and so down to earth and very smart. And he was like, "I'm doing this to, you know, just kind of." retire and 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 go live with my wife and we're like oh that's so nice and then like that was like a couple summers ago and like this coming summer was supposed to be his last summer of touring and so he could retire and he didn't get to do it because obviously of covid so i felt kind of bad there but he's he was really cool he put on one hell of a show and he didn't play for very long which is which is great because you know sometimes those acts can play a long time but really the only song you probably know from from him is I still believe right and like from the you know from the lost boys and like he gets up there and he's I can't remember how he worded it it was hilarious but he's like um he's like 
I can't, oh, it was like a sexual uh, <laughs> innuendo of yeah. some kind. But he was, he was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to play a bunch. He was, he has his own original songs that he did play. But he's like, I know I'm not fooling you guys. Uh, I know what you came here to see. But there's nothing wrong with like a little warm up or a little tease or something. <laughs> so, uh, but he was great. He had like the TVs would come on and play like his scenes from Miami Vice, and uh, he would go on there and uh, it, when the last song he played was I would still believe and he made everybody dance like star in the movie and he nice. showed everybody how to do it. And like literally everybody in the venue is dancing like star. <laughs> it was, That's so it cool. Was great. Yeah. It was a good time. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to tick that one off our list because that was a kind of a goal for our band was to play with like a real eighties act, uh, especially an eighties act that was in probably one of my favorite vampire movies of all time. Yeah, I was so, so, so bummed. Like, we had something else that night where I just could not make it. And I was, like, trying to figure out if I could switch with somebody. Because I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was an event at the at the theater that I had committed to. And oh. we actually um, had been back and forth with booking him on the date between. Because he was in mm -hmm. Chicago, and then he had a day off, and then he was in Des Moines. And we tried to book him on that day in between and he does all of his own booking and stuff. So I was emailing mm -hmm. back and forth with him and he was, like you said, super nice. Um, I didn't actually get to like speak with him just in our interactions through email. He was super nice, but he was like, you know, I'm an older guy and it's a lot of setup and stuff. So I prefer to have a day between each show. Um, yeah. And so I was like, you know, that's no problem. You know, I was like, if, if you need a place to stay between here and there, like we'll put you up in a hotel and all you have to do is basically come out and say, you know, thanks for coming out. This is the lost boys. Like we'll show the lost boys and you introduce it and you can sign. If you want, you can sell merch and sign autographs and take all that money. And I was like, and we'll put you in a hotel and we'll pay you. And he was like, uh, you know, that wouldn't be too bad. And then he was like, well, what if we did that? And then like you lift the screen after the movie and I'm there with my equipment and I, I play, I still believe. And I was like, of, yeah. of course, like, obviously, yeah, like, I'm not going to tell <laughs> yes. him no. And then and, and then it sort of fell apart because he was like, well, you know, if I have to bring my equipment and set up and do sound check and stuff, I'm still going to need to charge you the price like I would for a full show. So it's going to be like, you know, I'm not going to say the price, but it was like out of our range. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, you know, I was sort of hoping we could just catch you in between shows and, and have you introduced a movie and and it, the negotiation sort of fell apart. But um he was really nice to work with. And I have a friend who does um, shadow cast. Like she has a small group of shadow casters in Michigan and mm -hmm. they have done Hocus Pocus and they've sold out their theater there several times and they've done these movies and they were planning on Lost Boys and they had built the carousel. They had built like all these really cool props. Oh, wow. And when he was touring through Michigan, um, she stopped at his show and talked to him and asked him if he'd, be willing to reprise his role and he was like didn't even like talk price or anything he's just like yeah let's do it like this is awesome i want to do it so they had him booked and everything and he was going to reprise the role and like play it in front of the movie and like mime it and everything and then once again COVID happened uh, uh... so they they because you know like this was supposed to be his last thing his last shebang like they couldn't get him to commit to you know next summer or anything and they decided that um, if they had already announced that he was going to be part of it, that it wouldn't be the same. So trying to trying to sell tickets to it 
after you know he wouldn't come on board so i think mm-hmm. they, they scrapped the idea and sold off most of the props and stuff but uh oh, it's just sad because it would have been really cool to see but yeah. but she said that he was like the sweetest nicest guy and he helped them you know he recorded a little video to announce it and help promote it and stuff and just seems like a a really good dude and i'm it, it, i was so stoked to see your band was opening for him i'm like holy <laughs> shit that is like the perfect fit it really was it was a great night because it's it's such a strange thing like we're in iowa and at, you are in a synthwave band like there's not <laughs> there's not many of those around here so it's like you know most of them are based on a coast so it's they re- are it's really yes. cool that there's one locally and you guys are awesome so do you want to talk a little bit about your band uh and where people can listen what you have oh, what, yeah, what's sure. going on with the band uh that kind of stuff well we we're still writing music and we're still putting out music and i encourage everyone that's listening to check out our band camp we got all kinds of cool merch on there usually video game related or movie related um we put out a single in july that's based on they live uh, it's called stay asleep and also, if you happen to pick up the latest Friday the 13th box set, we have some music featured on a couple special features on there. Yes. Thanks to Justin Beam and, and Shout and Scream Factory. So that was a really cool thing to, to be able to do and just to be able to say as well. Yeah, I checked another one, another box off the list. Yeah, that was de- that was definitely like, yeah, to, to be, uh, you know, forever part of the Friday the 13th series in some way. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely. That's so cool. Like you guys put your music on like unique formats too, right? It's not just yeah. We put it on VHS cassette. Um, I put it on floppy disk. Yes, that's what um... I was. I was thinking. I'm like, <laughs> wasn't it on? Flo-? I didn't want to be like it's on floppy disk, right? And you just like laugh me out of the room. But that's so. No, we definitely did do that. We did a, a, a Sega cartridge that had the game still in it, and I opened it up and designed uh, a way to put in the a USB drive that sticks out. So your Sega game cartridge is also just a, oh, also so cool. a USB drive and a Sega game. So we and, did it, those as and well. it still worked. Still worked. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> that's so Both cool. Ways. Man. Oh, that's so cool. Like I just love uh, ways because you know, it's, it's tough to get people to keep buying physical media when everybody yeah. just streams everything. But when you do something like that, I'm sold on it. That's so cool. That's our biggest deal is like keeping physical media life. Well, me anyway, I really want to make sure that we have something physical with just about every release, even if it's just a single. Um, Cause I think that just makes it cool. You know, the digital downloads fine, but like, I, I feel like if you sell something physical with it, people are going to, I, I think, I'm kind of catering to to my or our age group with that a little bit. It's like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to buy a floppy disk with this. Like, who does that? You know, like, so I I feel like we we have to do something physical to to keep it alive, even if it is dead technology. Well, it's a, it's such a cool thing because I I'll admit I listen to most of mus- my music streaming. Like, I listen to a lot of music while I'm at work at my desk and stuff. But now it's sort of evolved where artists are doing this and they're putting out, you know, deluxe um, vinyl packages that have really cool designs and, mm-hmm. you know, the gate folds and all that stuff. And to, that gets me buying it. And it's like, I'm going to buy this really nice deluxe vinyl copy of an album. 
and display it at my house and have it, you know, with my other records. And when I'm at home, I'll listen to that. But it's like, you know, they're still getting me. I always, and, and plus I, you know, if I'm going to support a band, I'm going to buy something cool. Like I don't buy CDs anymore to like ever, <laughs> right. you know, it's either vinyl or if they like a band has something unique like that. And, um, you know, for a while there, I was really getting into chip tune and uh, yeah. like Anamanaguchi, like they had a lot of cool, like little formats and, and weird mm-hmm. things that they were doing too. And I just love that stuff, man. Like I'm such a sucker for it. I think it's, you know, just the coolest way to keep collecting, keep people interested in physical media. Right. Um, Definitely. I love it, man. Like just keep doing that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I I went, I remember just another quick story. I remember we went and saw masked intruder. Are you familiar with them? I'm not. They're a pop punk band, but they sort of remind me of the Ramones where their songs are all about love. And uh, they're sort of like beach boys. If they were pop punk, but oh really but but it's but <laughs> cool. but their angle their their gimmick is they're all each member dresses in a black teacher in black like skinny jeans and then mm-hmm. each member has a themed color so like they, none of them have names it's like yellow purple orange and blue or something and they wear like the chucks in that color and then a ski mask that color and they're all criminals and the stories are about like love songs, but from the perspective of a guy who's stalking a girl or a guy who um, just got out of prison or a guy who is robbing a bank for, for a girl that he loves. And, um, and and they're like, they have a member of the band who doesn't play anything. He dresses as a cop and basically like hangs out at shows and runs their merch table and stuff. But it's such a fun gimmick because, and, and this does connect back to what we were talking about because, uh, I remember their merch table when we went and saw them in Iowa city, they had like a a VCR that was like wrapped in duct tape or something. And it was like, you know, uh, they were selling this stuff like, like used uh, TVs and stuff that they, that were supposed to look like they were stolen. And it was like, you know, uh, perfect. Yeah. And, and that was sort of their gimmick. It was like clearly, you know, lifted from somewhere and they were selling it as like new Xbox and, uh, you know, a DVD player, like new DVD player. And it was like a VCR wrapped in duct tape and stuff. And they just really commit to the uh, gimmick and I- I'm all about it. And I, That's I love, pretty cool. yeah, I love the, uh, you know, the, the whole synth wave thing. I'm all about, you know, gunship and, yeah, uh, all, band. yeah. And, uh, you know, once again, brought in, uh, Tim and sort of brought him back out in the limelight. And, I asked him a bunch of questions about them too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's cool to see Tim do, you know, a new album himself. And I just love that we're having this resurgence. I, I'm totally all about it. And, you know, I'm yeah. just, it, it's so cool that we have a local band doing that. Cause yeah. you know, every band I've ever been in has totally sucked. It's always been like garage rock or punk rock. And, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just going to gush about your band forever. Cause, uh, oh, I, love, I love your band, <laughs> but, uh, if if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of synthwave and you know the old retro stuff, and you know you like John Carpenter music, that kind of stuff. You should definitely yeah. go listen to Finally Some Action. Find them on Bandcamp. Go buy a Sega cartridge, uh, whatever they whatever they have up for now, and you know go go even if you have to just go stream a song, listen to them because you're going to be hooked. Um, but thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. A lot of a lot of good discussion here. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to have you back because uh, 
looking through your watch list, I I have somewhere I need to check off, and you know now I have an excuse to get those movies watched, and yeah, we can definitely. both we can both check them off the list, and maybe we'll have to come back in uh, a few months after we've both watched a remake of The Witches and and oh, see how that goes. Up? Yeah, yeah, like a a sequel to this episode, but yeah, okay, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, so uh, like once again, thanks for talking. Thanks for jumping on. It was such mm-hmm. such a fun time talking to you about this one, and uh, thanks for making me watch it for the first time. <laughs> you chose it. Yeah, I did choose it, and I'm glad that I chose this one. Because so, <laughs> I could that could go either way if we're both watching something for the first time. Uh, right, you know, it, it could have gone. Bad. I could have hated it. Right, me too. So I'm glad we enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for coming on. And we'll talk mm-hmm. to you again sometime soon. Sounds great. See ya. Thank you again for listening to the First Time Podcast. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and give us a like on Facebook. Follow or subscribe to the First Time Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A huge thank you goes out to Scott Schreiner Weezer for our intro and outro music. Last but not least, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. We appreciate your support.